Welcome to Racket Fuel, where we launch into great conversations and share powerful tools to help you become a stronger rackets leader. Your hosts are Kim Bastable, a former All-American tennis player and now Director of Tennis Management at the University of Florida, and Simon Gale, the USTA National Campus Director of Racket Sports. Today on Racket Fuel, we'll take a dive into the trend of pickleball through the eyes of A.J. Pant, Vice President of Racket Sports for Lifetime. Lifetime made a major move into pickleball, and we'll see how they did it and how it's worked out for them financially. Now, here's Kim and Simon. Welcome to Racket Fuel. We're here again with my co-host, Simon Gale. Simon, how are you doing today? I'm excellent. Thanks, Kim. I have a, a someone I have a lot of respect for on with us today, who I consider one of the best in the industry. So excited to hear what he has to say today. Agree, agree. Um, we, Simon and I, have AJ Pant with us today, a very long tenured and respected director and leader who's been at the forefront of Lifetime's major move. They were already the largest provider of indoor tennis, and now they are the largest provider of pickleball by a factor of 10, he says. That's incredible. So AJ, we cannot wait to hear the details of what you have going on at Lifetime. Welcome to Racket Fuel. Thank you, Kims. Thank you, Simon. Nice to be here with you both. AJ, I've been in the country about 25 years now and watched your career evolve from a distance. And, and we've spent plenty of time together talking over those years. You don't become the vice president of, of racket sports at Lifetime overnight. And we often hear the saying, you know, one step at a time, and, and your career has evolved that way. Maybe you can give our listeners a bit of an understanding of your background and how you ended up in this role so that, that we get a little bit more clarity on how you ended up in this prestigious role? Well, tennis has been very kind to me, I suspect to three of us. Uh, I started off way back with uh, Balateri, doing a lot of coaching back then, and uh, moved on from there to Midtown and Alan Schwartz and Doug Cash for about 20 years as their national director, moved on then as senior vice president for Junior Tennis Champion Center in Baltimore area, College Park, Maryland. And uh, Lifetime had an opening. They spoke with me, and I was delighted to take up the job. I didn't start as a vice president. I started as a director of tennis. They, they were quite kind. They promoted me to senior director. And then pickleball and squash, you know, is a big part of our offering. I'm now the vice president. I have the privilege of overseeing all racket sports for about 100 30 of our club portfolio. And AJ, the, the Lifetime brand has obviously evolved as we listen to your, your evolution within the company and the addition of Pickleball, for example. But you're also the biggest indoor provider of tennis and have made a, a conscious business decision to transition into the Pickleball world. And I believe you're the biggest indoor provider of Pickleball these days too. So correct me if I'm wrong on that, but also just talk to the, the change in direction to add pickleball and what it's done for Lifetime. Sure. So let me just start with the scope of uh, what we have with pickleball in terms of real estate and spaces. Uh, we have 545 clubs as of today, which have permanent courts. Uh, that's 545 courts that are permanent. So we have our own specialized surface. Uh, we don't use gymnasium or asphalt. It's almost like a kind of like a tennis surface, but not quite. Um, we will be up to 700 permanent courts by the end of this year. And for sure, 
up to 1,000 permanent courts by the end of 2024. So uh, just because we're you know all over the country, yeah, no no one else is going to have a thousand permanent courts across the country. Um, obviously, with that comes a lot of training and coaching for about 300 folks who are with us and are teaching and or doing some of the other admin work that we need in Pickleball. Pickleball, our, our founder and our CEO, Baram Akrati, uh, he saw something coming on, you know, down, down the pike, especially in the world of the, what this could do with changing the, the scope of racket sports. Um, quite candidly, I did not. In fact, I, I just did not see this happening as big. Uh, he does remind me every couple of days that I was wrong. So he, he was, Ram was onto something. It was absolutely hands down a terrific move. It has changed our culture in terms of another racket sport makes people the healthy and happier life. That's what our, that's what our, everything we do is about that. So this just adds to something. And, you know, I can certainly later go over the numbers, which have just been staggering. I, I, I never imagine a growth that would be this exponential. Well, you, you, let's go back. How many, you said there's 545 courts. So how many clubs in the United States lifetime have with courts? We have, yeah, we have 130 clubs with courts. And then you have a number of clubs with none. Uh, yeah. And the, and the reason that the remaining, you know, 50 plus clubs don't, some of these are, they don't have a, they don't have two basketball courts. They only have one basketball court. So we don't want to convert uh, one. If someone has two basketball courts, we're taking one and converting to three pickleball permanent court. But if it's one basketball, it doesn't seem fair to the basketball members. So we're not doing that. And there's a couple that you know are, are much more specialized boutique kind of clubs where we couldn't offer pickleball. Okay, so that's that's helpful information. So. You are a self-proclaimed tennis guy. As you said, you didn't really necessarily see this coming. You've always been in the tennis world. So tell us about what this has done to tennis at Lifetime. And are you worried about tennis, you know, nationally, even outside Lifetime? Yeah, no, certainly as a disclaimer, if you cut my wrist, there's tennis blood coming out. That's a given. Um, With that being said, no, at Lifetime, both are doing it incredibly well. We lost about 16% of our total tennis courts. However, tennis participation, and we, we, don't, we don't look at revenues because you know, we're, we're a very big company, so we're not interested in talking revenue. We're talking about participation. Tennis courts are down 16%. Tennis participation is up almost 27%. Um, so tennis people are not going away or they're stopping. About 21% of our tennis players and our, our unique tennis players are give or take about 35000 per month. 21% of them are also playing pickleball. But I don't have the specific data, but anecdotally, I don't know of anyone unless there's an injury or an age restriction who has stopped playing tennis. I can't think of anyone. I mean, I'm playing pickleball once a week, but I'm playing tennis three times. So that has been a big success for us. The pickleball, especially a lot of the leagues that we have and events, they're flooded with tennis players as well. They just, you know, it, it's, a, it's a fun sport. I mean, it's a fun sport. It's a great exercise. Pretty, it's just so social. 
So, no, I think uh, rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated in terms of pickleball will kill tennis or, or they can't co-survive. Uh, I, I think that's just a lot of hyperbole. I, based on what we're seeing at Lifetime, I don't see any impact negatively for either one of them. So quick follow-up on that, AJ, from a coaching point of view. Have you seen more pickleball specialists come in and, and they're purely pickleball coaches? Or are you seeing tennis coaches add that certification and transition? What are you seeing in terms of coaching changes in behavior and, 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 and where, their, where their time is spent? Yeah, that's a pretty good question, Simon. Uh, let me start by saying tennis pros, sure, there are some. We're not talking uh, out of, you know, 400 plus pros that we have. We're talking maybe tops, 50 tops. They're actually also teaching pickleball in addition to their tennis duties, but they're not, they're not stopping tennis. Um, I don't know how to react to that because I thought it'd be a lot more, but it's not. Uh, mainly, I suspect because our tennis pros have such a full book of business that I don't know how much they can kind of go back and forth. However. Uh, in the world of pickleball, there is no shortage of well-intentioned folks who want to teach and or are pretty strong players. The dilemma, and, and we've, we've figured it out by just doing our own internal certification. It's you know, three hours of pre-work, pre-assessment, nine hours of on-court. That's why I'm in Houston doing the certification tomorrow, and then another two hours of on-court afterwards. So. A lot of folks who are coming in into lifetime in the world of pickleball, very strong players, really good people, they are not as experienced in the world of coaching as tennis pros are. They, they just haven't done it. So we're, the, once we get the training and they get the confidence, they're, they're totally open. They're like sponges. You know? They're open and they're very, they'll do very well. But the nature of the business, it's just so new that there's not a lot of methodology with what's efficient coaching, what's effective coaching. What does coaching even mean? Do, do people understand, you know, learning and teaching are two separate things. So we're pretty proud. We're, we're doing this internally. And so far, the results have been superb that people really go, you know, okay, I did not know all this you know, simple stuff that you, you build, you know, power from the ground up. It's not from your shoulder. Those kind of concepts, though, seem to really help. I have a question for follow-up for that. It's just that early on, I feel like in pickleball, there were, it wasn't as complex a game. And there were a lot of people who wanted one lesson maybe to get the basics and know how to score. And then they are off and running and don't need more instruction. Do you see, since you see both sports so well, an equivalent amount of desire to learn, an equivalent amount of room for a, tenant, a pickleball pro to make a good living? Or is there limited teaching opportunities in the sport overall? Sure. So, so far what we're seeing, and we've been doing it for about two years, is the, the number of hours being taught is not even close to what we do in tennis. However, there are at least 30 people within our system who are teaching about 30 hours plus in pickleball. It's not the norm, but they are about 30. Most right now would be in the 15 to 20 range. and Kim, to your point, what I'm finding out is to come in and start playing pickleball. We have our branded intro programs. They're, they're complimentary for our members. You can get in within a half an hour. 
you can rally, you can score, you're playing game. The and a lot of people just want to do that. They just want to come in and play with their friends and you know do open play and and not do anything else. But for the ones who start to move into the two five range and now want to start competing in league, and we're about to start inter club leagues and travel teams, they then no different than tennis. They want to do more. I am not finding a humongous market for private lessons. There is some, but for group situations, four or eight to two courts, that seems to be a much more prevalent theme because, you know, we're talking more about tactics and strategies uh, as opposed to strictly mechanic. So AJ, with with these or this shift into pickleball. And you, you were quite open about you didn't see it being what it is. How, how has it exceeded the, the expectations or what you thought or your ownership thought it would be versus wh- where it actually is? Yeah, well, I mean, one, of course, I was totally wrong. And more importantly, you know, the results have been, I mean, just humbling. Maybe that's the best way to put it. I certainly never thought this could even happen in racket sports. So. To give you some numbers, two years ago, our unique participation per month, two years ago, was give or take about 6,000. Now, during our worst month, it's about 42,000 up to 50,000 in some other month. That's unique. The average pickleball player is playing about four times, well, it's 3.5 times per month with us. They're, they're repeats. They just keep going and keep going. And obviously, you know, look, Lifetime is a, it's a humongous company. We have about a million plus memberships. And these are not inexpensive. It's, it's an expensive membership. So Pickleball, you know, literally every month, we're adding more and more and more new members who, and we can track it, you know, based on swipes and where you go, whose primary button is Pickleball. Now, of course, once they come in, they, they love the spa, they love the tennis, they love the cafe, they love personal training. But the, the drawing card when you're on the bubble is pickleball. And certainly in terms of revenues, which is not what we're measuring, we're just not even, I mean, it's participation and retention. But, you know, we've gone from doing 40000 a month in revenue and now, you know, give or take, it's 400000 even 450000 a month. It'll probably wind up going easily into the $1 million range in the next year and a half. At the risk of being redundant, that is not what we're measuring. It, we just, that's not. It's the number of people playing and participating in leagues and lessons and clinics and things that Lifetime takes pride in that, you know, we have these offerings and it's not just open play. And so one of the, the, the maybe it's a myth that's out there or a label that I think is, is not true at all is that while well, pickle players just want to play, they want to play for free, they don't want to spend money. It sounds like that's not the case at all. And in some, and I assume from a membership point of view, a membership's a membership. There's not a pickleball membership or a tennis membership. You are a member of Lifetime and there's no discount because I'm a pickleball player versus a tennis player. You are correct on both counts. I mean, this is, look, the, the notion that pickleball folks, you know, don't have deep pockets and they just want to play. Look, this is no different than golfers telling three of us, you tennis people don't want to spend money. You guys are cheapskates. I mean, there's no, this is just baloney. Um, I have not seen that. Certainly, there are some who enjoy social play, just open play. They enjoy it. But yeah, I mean, our memberships are one memberships. Um, and for those, if you have a product that is worth 
and it's valuable, whether it's a relationship with a coach, whether it's privates, whether it's groups, whether it's leagues. We're about to start a whole, an entire subset with junior programming, again, age and stage-based. If there's a value proposition, no, no one minds paying. But if you, you know, if the product is the same old, same old, I wouldn't pay either. So, so how are you maximizing this in regard to that crossover element? Since you're a tennis guy, I'm sure you're not going to sit down and just sort of passively maybe be really all, all in promoting just pickleball. So I'm curious, do you have events where people come and do both or you try to get one member out of a family on the tennis court, one playing pickleball? Have you ever done that? Where are you with junior pickleball? Where, how many socials a month do you have? How is this just adding to programming and how are you navigating that? Yep. So two, let me answer two separate ways. First off, in terms of uh, what all this means to tennis, this doesn't mean Lifetime is not building more tennis courts. We are. So some of our new properties, and you know, we're building maybe one new club a month right now. A lot of our new properties have tennis, whether it's indoors, outdoors, where they also have pickleball. But we're certainly not in any shape or form walking away from tennis. I mean, we're still building courts. The second part of your question came, the juniors, I, I, I'm proud to say this, and I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but you, you both are the first to know. Um, October 2nd, in partnership with Duper, we are going to launch the first lifetime junior play pathway uh, powered by Duper. And for all of us who respect coaching, there's going to be no more drills or clinics. It's all practices. We have the curriculum already done. All practices, every week, there's going to be a non-threatening duper format for round robin every week, every kid, every week. So you get used to saying, this is just fun. And then once a month, there's a format, think compass draw, but it's being called waterfall. That's being launched as well. So this is, we are already hosting at no charge, I might add, all of the collegiate pickleball regional and national championships at our club. Uh, this is not NC2A as yet. These are colleges, you know, either privately funding or funding kids to just go out there and play. Uh, we did one in Texas a couple of months ago, like 106 kids. So we, we, are, we are really proud that this is now taking pickleball into yet another audience, which, you know, needs to be tapped, but no one's really done it because they, I don't think people understand the nuances behind age and stage base. So that, that to me as a coach is very exciting. I mean, just, this is just going to be one of those. And we have kids and more kids and more kids. Uh, separately, though, I have not as yet spent too much time. Uh, doesn't mean we can't do it. I just haven't spent enough time on combining the two sports and trying to do stuff. The plan was to have squash, tennis, and pickleball, because many of our clubs have all three, to kind of do an Olympic-style format, but I haven't quite gone there. Now, we have pickleball events, you know, about two per month at most clubs, and some of ours are national. We're doing our second annual Pickleball Fall Classic coming up. Uh, 100 and, sorry, 81 clubs are participating, about 6,000 members are playing. So those are branded, you know, national ones. We're going to do a mixed trouble coming up in Valentine's Day. And that, again, is a national, every club, every. So there's quite a bit of that. They're very, very popular. 
And again, for us, it's not about making money. So they're, they're, you know, they're quite inexpensive for members. So AJ, I want to pick up on something there because I've talked to you. I've been part of the evolution of ten and under tennis and the modifications and and the the implementation of of, of red ball and and the pathway and so on. And the whole point of that was to get people playing as soon as possible. But yep. but I think it's interesting to hear that in a pickleball space, you're basically going to go with a play pathway. And I'm a big fan of this for tennis because I think we, we, we're way too instructional and we spend too much time teaching tennis, is if you can get them playing and get them hooked early, the, the motivation is created to then get better and I will take lessons, but we do it in reverse generally. We teach first, play second. Do you see some crossover into your tennis pathway with this type of introduction? Is there any reason that couldn't be done at some point? No, none. I mean, in fact, categorically, probably speaking for both of us, I've talked about this ad nauseum. I don't want to make the same mistakes we made in tennis going back to the 1970s in this country. That's exactly why strategically we want to get away from it. That's precisely the reason I want to do it this way and not go back to the, you know, what we would call learn to play versus now, you know, I mean, this is not my idea. It's been around for a long time. You, you know, you play to learn. So this was very strategic that we're going to only go with practices. And we're also, we're going to change the mindset that if you miss a practice, no different than soccer. You miss it, you miss it. There's a commitment. Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating to hear the outcomes. And I'm sure knowing you, you will have data that will support uh, the outcomes. Oh, yes. and, and I think that will be yep. very interesting for the industry to, to hear how that, how that pathway evolves over the next couple of years. So thanks for sharing. You're welcome. So what would you tell, what's your advice? You've been through a very you know, intense programming build, add pickleball to, your, to what lifetime what do you tell the average club owner, club owner, director of racket sports, how they can also, you know, make the ma maximize pickleball? I think some people see the phenomenon and build the courts and just think they'll automatically fill and sort of let it happen without intentionality. Where would you put the intentionality? What, what needs to happen to do this well from a director or leader perspective? What, what a neat question, Kim. If you don't have a very structured pathway, it's not going to work. So you can't just say, well, I'm going to offer private lessons and leagues and open play. And when we open this new court, it's not going to work. So there has to be a very carefully thought through progression. So as an example only, I'm not saying it worked for everyone. But for ours, if you are coming in and you haven't played, your first two lessons are branded by us as our intro program that you, you're going through that, and it's, there's no charge. So it's not about making money. Then we introduce you into open play in a very controlled setting, who you're playing with, because we know, we know our members, and we can also use you know, every lever we know, including artificial intelligence, to match people up. Then when you start doing that, we introduce you to socials. We're not pushing lessons in any shape or form. All of these progressions are mapped out, and that is the SOP. I don't want to have people come into lifetime, or for that reason, any responsible business, have a bad experience and stop playing. Again, I'm, I'm really keen, and I'm a tennis guy. I don't want to repeat the mistakes we've made in the tennis industry. It's like, no, get people playing. Do not start pushing for lessons. It's not that hard. So if you don't have that, 
it's not going to work. And two, be very, very thoughtful. These the sports are here to stay, so you need to embrace them, and they will not take away from tennis if you do it right. I'm curious what you mean when you say it's not going to work. So what do you mean by that? I mean, obviously, people will play on the courts, but I guess I would say, is that all that we want? Thank you for letting me clarify. When I say it's not going to work, to be more specific, if you just want you know, the wild, wild, wild west where everyone's out there irrespective of level, ages, and just banging pickleballs everywhere, and no one's having fun. In fact, often that just leads to some really nasty, nasty situations. You've got a 5-0 saying, I'm not going to play with a 2-0, and it just goes on and on, and there's no retention. Well, if that's your model, then sure, that'll work. That's not my version of work. I want people to come in, have multiple glorious experiences, and wind up saying, oh, there's a whole pathway here. So I'm, not, I'm never threatened. I'm never in a position where I'm uncomfortable. They've got a scripted. You know, what t- even if it's open play, what time is open play? Is it prime time? Is it early morning? What is the level? Can kids join open play or not? Is it adults only? And then if I go into, well, we've got a mixer or a social event. How often do you do it? What's the theme? What's the level? If you haven't thought all this through, that's where I would say it's not going to work long term or being sustainable. Sure, you'll get people playing, but they're not yeah, going to stick around. The, the word I use a lot here is the customer journey. So what is their journey and, and is it, are, are, we, yeah. are we giving them a clear pathway when they first come in? And that sounds like what you're talking about is a clear pathway or a clear journey for them. And I've heard the word pathway multiple times, whether it's juniors or adults. So uh, thanks for clarifying that because I think yep. that's critical at any facility. I, I wanted to just start to wrap sure. things up a little bit with, you've given a lot of insight in 30 minutes, so appreciate your, your level of detail, but what's the future for Lifetime? You've, you've, you've gone from just tennis and, and health facility to tennis and now pickleball. What else do you see coming down down the pipe? Well, it's hard to even keep track of how many things we keep introducing. Um, let me go first big picture. So as an example, right now, Lifetime has introduced the notion of dynamic stretching. It's not just stretching. It's very specific, um, you know, with qualified, certified people to stretch you before and after. Now, it's catching on like wildfire. But now we're tailoring that for racket sports. So, and this is not me, this is me, the consultant, but this, they're designing this curriculum. So now we have dynamic stretching, including dynamic stretching for racket sports. And, you know, as the guinea pig for this, the, the content is just rock solid. So that's another component. We certainly, even before COVID, we were looking into Padel. And I know Kim plays a lot. Marcus, for a lot of us, is a dear, dear friend. But with COVID and all the delivery and shipments, we have to put that on hold. But certainly, we're not going to shy away from saying, we need to look at that. We need, need to look at other racket sports. There's other businesses. You know, we've got 28 businesses. It's not just racket sports. That's three of them. Uh, but, you know, we're already looking at, okay, what other businesses can we add? So we've, you know, there's a huge, huge movement right now with dynamic personal training. Uh, and again, I, I'm not the expert at this stuff, but I can tell you what's happening is we've taken the traditional personal training model to now training all of our trainers on how you do things hand on. So if, if Kim's doing something with her shoulder, 
what kind of band can I use to increase or decrease her level of exertion and what she's... So it's very specialized. Now, that's a whole different dimension. Squash, something as innocuous as the sport of squash. Well, we're now using a modified ball that we're getting in from England to see if we can do squash for folks. You know, I'm going to be 60 soon, unlike you both who are young, young people. But we're now finding with this different ball, it's easier on the knees for people like me who are trying to play squash. Well, th this is all, but if you're not doing this all the time, every day, I just, I think you're settling for less for your members. P plus, I mean, I'm speaking for three of us. You're also settling for less in the industry. That's very exciting. Very good insight into some aspects that maybe many, many facilities don't really have capacity to think about. I think it's great that you're on the forefront. Uh, you've got so many people that you can study this stuff with, see what works, see what's beneficial. I mean, that's, I remember when you told me that Lifetime changed its name from Lifetime Fitness to Lifetime and you get in trouble if you call it Lifetime Fitness. And I mean, it does truly reflect, it sounds yeah. like, um, yes. a, new, a new model of, of how you want to impact people's lives. And those advancements say that. This wasn't a lifetime ad, but it seems like it's just a lot of good things happening. So we're, we're pleased that we were able to spend some time with you today, AJ. You have provided great insights that I think we, we in the rackets industry can benefit from. Do you have any final thoughts, Simon? No, it was a lot to absorb in 30 minutes. We could talk about it for days, I'm sure, but uh, it's just fascinating. And I think there's a consistent theme with these people we speak to about constant evolution and looking for what's next and how do you make something better and don't settle. It, there's just a constant theme that I'm hearing and AJ reinforced that today over and over. Yeah. And it's interesting. You, I don't ever consider you to be resistant to innovation. So the fact that you, the owner of Lifetime, you know, was a step ahead of you and, and you were sort of going along, that, that guy's pretty innovative and uh, it's obviously paid off well, but I think, as you said, we need to do it well. We need to add it well. We need to not just build the courts and expect them to come. So very, very good information. So that's all we have for you today on Racket Fuel. We're excited that we've had this time with AJ. We want to thank him for his time, and we'll see you next time. That's all for today, but we're not out of fuel. You can find more information and resources in our show notes and by visiting RacketFuelPodcast.com. If you liked what you just heard, please subscribe and also leave a review, which helps other people join the mission to become stronger Rackets leaders. This podcast is a production of Athlete Plus, the people, stories, and science behind elite athletes and teams. Athlete Plus is the official podcast network of the Institute for Coaching Excellence, a research, education, and outreach center in the College of Health and Human Performance at the University of Florida. The Institute for Coaching Excellence offers various online certificate programs and degrees in partnership with the Department of Sport Management. Learn more today at coaching.hhp.ufl.edu.